Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you, Dee. Um, we're taking a detour from the Sermon on the Mount series today um, and talking about um, financial giving in church. And the um, point of the sermon that I'm going to focus on today is what it means to be a cheerful giver. The context of the passage that we have is that um, the Apostle Paul is inviting the Corinthian church, who are a, a wealthy church, to um, give to a financial appeal. And the financial appeal is for the Jerusalem church who are experiencing poverty and famine. And he's saying, um, come on, I really want you to give. And just look at your other brothers and sisters in the Macedonian church. They're so generous, even though they are not very well off as a church. Um, and so be a cheerful giver. He says... Uh, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And then quoting Proverbs 22 verse 9, for God loves a cheerful giver. To be a cheerful giver, it means to be happy and optimistic, full of good spirits. And so let's think about what that looks like to be happy and optimistic and full of good spirits about giving to the mission and the ministry of the church. And it's really important that we talk about this, about our relationship with money, because, let's face it, we think about it all the time. It's a massive focus in our lives. What we earn, how much we are saving, what the interest rates are, the cost of living, the housing affordability crisis... And the Bible has heaps to say that's countercultural about this. So let's look at this passage, and the three points I'm going to say are this. I'm going to say God's grace is the motivator for our cheerful giving, that cheerful giving grows us as disciples, and also cheerful giving has beautiful results. So first of all, God's grace is the motivator for cheerful giving. The motivation for giving your money away 
to the ministry and the mission of the church comes from God's infinite grace poured out onto you. God's not a harsh tax man that we uh, run in fear from and give our money out of compulsion to. He's our loving father who pours out his infinite grace and love into our lives. He is like the father in the prodigal son story, who when the um, rebellious son comes home, the father throws a massive party for him in celebration. And we are like the son, the object of that massive party, of that celebration. And with our hearts full and our eyes weeping at the amount of love that he has shown us, we respond to his extravagant and undeserved gift. So in um, verse 8 it says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Many of you know our family goes to the Grampians a lot and at the Grampians there's the biggest waterfall you can visit is called Mackenzie Falls and um, we go there a lot. And... Um, it's ginormous and when it's particularly, there's been a lot of rain, it just pours over the top, thousands and thousands of litres a second are coming down and on a hot day it's great just to stand there and feel the spray of the water on, on you and you can see where all the rocks in the, in, the, in the area around the pool of water where the spray's landed is, you know, bursting with life, with greenery. And this is just like God's grace towards us. It pours out spectacularly and keeps pouring, bringing refreshment and life. And as we, as we stand at the bottom of that waterfall, we want to pass that on to other people. We want to invite them into that grace. God loves a cheerful giver because he is a cheerful giver. Now, there's all sorts of reasons we might give in church for the wrong reasons, like bad reasons. First of all, we might do it because it alleviates our guilt. We carry deep shame and we think that God is going to forgive us of our sins because we've been so generous. But no, that's, that's the wrong motive to give. In fact, there was a whole Protestant reformation based on rejecting that idea from Martin Luther and saying, no, you can't pay money to receive God's forgiveness. It's a free gift. Perhaps you might give to avoid service in church, avoid serving. You don't have time to serve in a ministry, so you give financially as a compensation for your lack of time. But that kind of thinking runs into a real danger, doesn't it, of really saying you'll give your money so as to maintain your idol worship of workaholism or to avoid interacting with other human beings. So that's, that's not a good motivation to give, just to avoid serving in church. One of the things for us living in a secular age is that the instinct of our culture is to want to search and pursue um, a life as if God doesn't actually exist. Deep down in our guts, instead of being 
convinced that God is sovereign over our lives, we really think it is our personal wealth that empowers us and gives us security and freedom. We start to think money is the solution to our problems. We think having enough will protect us from anything going wrong. And this can affect the Christian life in two contrasting ways. One way is that it can give us security. We we can believe that it gives us security, sorry. We don't want to give our money away because we are afraid that we'll run out of money and that something will go majorly wrong. We won't be able to afford life. Now, while we need to be wise with our money and not foolhardy, we can go too far in being so prudent that we're tight-fisted with our money, overly controlling. Another thing that we can get wrong in this kind of strange thought that as Christians that God doesn't really exist in the back of our mind is that in our church leadership we can be overly controlling. We can start to become so obsessed with the management and control of our church finances that we start to think that our church is empowered by money and not by the Holy Spirit. And one thing that's been good in our Wednesday morning prayer meetings during the time of the appeal is that we've been praying this constant prayer that's coming up that we trust in God's sovereignty, not in money. That he is the one who supplies everything that we need. When we are motivated by God's infinite grace poured out on us, there's no room for the false thought that money is the solution to all of our problems. So what Paul says is that you you should respond to God's grace by making a heart decision. Verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So first we respond cheerfully um, in our giving to God's grace by first of all being ready to give, not reluctant, not having this posture of, don't talk to me but being ready to give. And then we're to be thoughtful and prayerful about it. So it seems to me I think there's five steps to action this. First, you be ready. Second, you consider your giving. You think about it. You you, you go, well, what, what resource do I have to give? Thirdly, you pray about it. You ask the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts and decisions and to seek God's will in your giving. Fourthly, you make a decision, and then fifthly, you action it. You you cheerfully give. When I was growing up at church, we used the envelope system for giving financially at church. Um, Each member of the church would would sign up to the envelope system, and they would be given um, a box of envelopes, and each one would have the logo of the church on it, and it would be dated for each Sunday of the year, and... It would say something like, you know, Mary Creek Anglican, tithes and offerings, Peter, Caroline and Joe Knight, and the date. And then what, what would happen is, in the week leading up to it, or maybe at the start of the month, um, my mum and dad, for example, they would take their envelopes and go to the bank, withdraw the cash, and they'd divide it up and put it into the envelope, each envelope. And then on a Sunday, when the bowl would go around they would put their envelope in with all the other envelopes and there might be some cash in there too because not everyone used the system. 
And the good thing about this is that it, it, it actually required a level of thoughtfulness and prayerfulness and planning. Now, we live in a cashless society now, and that would not be a practical system for all kinds of reasons. But there's something very good about it. At Mary Creek, we use an online, you know, um, automated version of giving where you set it up with your bank account, and that's what we prefer. But there are pros and cons of that, isn't there? The cons are that it's out of sight and out of mind. You might have set up a, the transfer of a certain amount of money seven or eight years ago and never gone back to that regular transfer, never thought about it again. And that's not good, is it? Because in all of the areas of our life, we should be reconsidering what we give. You know it's coming out, but you've never thought about increasing it. Also, you might not be giving because you've just never got around to setting up that regular giving and because you don't see the ball going around, you're not reminded to change that fact. Um, you've never prayed about it and you've never sought God's guidance. Online giving is invisible, out of sight, out of mind. But the pros are, of, co of course, that it's automated, so it's really helpful for the administration of our church. It's much more regular. If you don't come on a Sunday, the giving still comes, and that is really important. We don't want to see the, the giving lumpy like that. It's very hard to predict, predict things. So the application is to be thoughtful, considerate, and prayerful in your giving, to talk about it at home or in your community group, to ring up, ask one of the church council members, or talk to me, or Beck. It's good to just be planning in your response to God's grace. This is what cheerful giving looks like. It's responding to God's abundant grace in a thoughtful and prayerful and generous way. Secondly, cheerful giving grows us as disciples. There was once this university student who went to St. Jude's in Carlton. It was a long time ago, and I heard this story from the, from, uh, the minister, Peter Adam. And what happened was this uni, uni student had been a Christian a long time, and they were struggling in their faith. And... They just didn't feel close to God. They were coming every Sunday and they were involved in different things and serving. They were, but they just didn't feel close to God. You know, they'd lie awake at night going, I just don't know God's presence in my life. They tried everything. So they organised a catch-up with, with the minister and the uni students said, what should I do? I don't know what to do. God just seems so distant. This is really getting me down. I'm not sure how long I can last like this. And Minister Peter Adam looked at the uni student and said, try giving away all your money, right? Now, why is that profound? And this is the reason, I think. One of the reasons why talking about our relationship with money in church is important is because deep down, we actually have a longing to feel the fullness of God's love and presence in our life. When I say fullness, it's that experience of richness, a deeper, more worthwhile, more admirable, more close um, presence of God in your life. It might feel like a moving or an inspiring experience. It, for many of us, it's the, the idea of fullness is, is something that we have 
maybe we see it a bit far off. We know generally the direction that it'll, it's coming from, this, this presence of fullness, where we will get a, a sense of peace and wholeness. The thing is, though, we look for fullness in all kinds of other places. So from having exciting experiences, we try and tick off the boxes on our bucket list. We go, well, that's going to give me a sense of fullness in life, wholeness, self-abandonment, peace and joy. Or we chase um, different career things. We think once we've got this certain job, we'll then experience fullness in life, meaning and purpose, joy and peace and love or some kind of perfect relationship. But the Bible says that true fullness, true joy and fulfilment and abandonment and peace and self-forgetfulness and wholeness, only that comes from God. It comes through a life devoted to God. And one of the things the Bible says is that you're not going to have a chance at that. You're not going to have a chance of fullness in God, maturity in God, a long-term sense of richness in your faith, unless you trust your money to him. Verse 6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The farming metaphor says that the person who sows sparingly or gives financially in a very small way will only reap in a very small way, Whereas a person who sows generously or gives financially in a generous way will also reap generously. Or the, the more accurate translation, they will reap with blessings, it says. Saying the same thing as Proverbs 11:24, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. And Jesus says as well in Luke 6, 38, when he's talking about our attitude of grace towards others, he says, give and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The more blessing you give out, whether it's love or forgiveness or blessing others with your possessions and money, it will come back to you in return. And this principle of sowing and reaping seems to be embedded in the order of creation. God has made the universe this way. If you want a harvest of wheat, what do you have to do? You have to sow the seeds. And the more seeds you sow, the more wheat will grow. Now, obviously, there's weather and there's all kinds of soil and all kinds of things. If you want more apple trees, you sow more apple tree seeds. It's embedded in the order of creation. And this principle extends beyond agriculture to life and faith. Now, just to clarify, Paul isn't saying that sowing your money will cause you to reap a harvest of greater personal wealth. Look at verse 8. He makes it clear. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Or look down at verse 11. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the harvest you will reap is a blessing from God, which has a purpose, which is that you will do greater good works and be more generous. 
And this is what we mean by fullness in God. It's this kind of feedback loop of grace that starts to happen. God pours out his grace abundantly on your life and you respond in grace and grace comes back to you and you keep giving it out and it just keeps going. Greater and greater joy. Greater and greater capacity to love. Also, fullness comes from this sowing and reaping because you're set free from fear, the fear of not having enough. The Corinthians were petrified that if they gave to this appeal, that they would become poor themselves. But God actually promises to them that they will continue to have enough money even after they've given, more than enough. You can actually see it. If you start to stitch verse 8, verse 10 and verse 11 together, you see the pattern. God is able to bless you abundantly and will also supply and increase your store of seed and you will be enriched in every way. God won't invite you to give generously and then not supply you with what you need to give. It's his resources all in the first place. Another reason why sowing and reaping, giving generously brings fullness is because you learn to trust in God more. It, it leads to maturity of faith. We trust it over to him for him to use. We trust it into the hands of the administrators of the church to organise the money, but you don't know what's going to happen next. It's not a fee for service. It's not the same as investing in the stock market, that you pull it out or you put it in, depending on how good the stock's going. It's not like that. We've got to think about kingdom of God dynamics, where you sow a little mustard seed and it grows into a huge thing, or where God's invisible power is at work doing things you can't even imagine. What you can trust is that your giving will be used by God in ways that you can't imagine. I'll give you an example. You transfer $500 for the use of the Inner North Youth Group and that then goes to help pay um, the youth minister who then trains the youth leaders. And then one Friday night in July, there's a 14-year-old there who gives their life to Jesus in a Bible study. And that 14-year-old is excited about their faith and grow, grows in their faith through the youth group years. And then when they're 24... They think, I was so transformed by the youth group, I want to be a youth leader. And then they go and lead a youth ministry and take away kids on a youth weekend away camp and three year 11 kids are there and they give their life to Jesus. You see how it works? It just keeps going and keeps going, this abundant harvest that all started in God's grace pouring out on you, which led to you giving and trusting it over to him. Experience the fullness that comes from God, freedom from fear, trusting in God so generously and reap a harvest of blessings from our God who gives abundantly. And lastly, I just want to end it here. Cheerful giving has um, beautiful results. Remember, this is an appeal that in the passage for the Corinthian church to give to the um, Jerusalem church who are struggling. And he says in verse 12, you'll see what the results are. First of all, the result, first result will be that you will supply the needs of the Lord's people. In other words, the people will be fed. The people who are in famine will be fed. So you'll supply for their physical needs. And secondly, 
Um, they will be overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, the people will praise God. Their, spiritual, their spirit will be lifted. Ever since the church was started by God 2,000 years ago or so, it has been in the business of caring for people's physical needs and spiritual needs. The church cared for people's bodies through radical hospitality, caring for orphans and widows, feeding the, feeding the poor, welcoming the refugee, later on setting up hospitals and aid organisations. But also the church was in the business of caring for curing the cure of souls, teaching people about the meaning and purpose of life, the nature of God, how to live a good life. And the two go together. Paul says to the Corinthians, when the people who receive your generosity see your obedience, they will praise God. And they will return the favour by loving you and praying for you. They will be blown away by the effects of God's surpassing grace he has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. What a beautiful result. Friends, God loves a cheerful giver. I invite you to share in his indescribable gift. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you pour your grace on us like a giant waterfall of grace. And we pray that we will be motivated by that in our generosity to build up the kingdom. We pray that you stir our hearts and move us into action. Amen.